Thanks, Pastor Gary. Good morning, all. Morning. Well, we've got youth again on this uh, Friday night. So looking forward to that. What youth? Okay. <laughs> hey, I just want to acknowledge, uh, you know, just all those that are serving, uh, particularly this morning, but through the week. You know, there's been mention of that the Musos just uh, did great. Uh, Damien's uh, serving on the desk. We've got the cafe workers, the kids workers that are out there. Uh, and those that help out with the youth, uh, I know when I, I went and chatted with uh, Beck and uh, she got her sister involved as well, and uh, we, I'm just grateful that you guys are, are helping out uh, uh, with us. And, um, you know, Be- Beck, I just feel to say to you, though, you know, just to say, just as I'm going to talk about uh, Joshua, uh, Joseph, and uh, it says uh, the Lord was with Joseph. And I just feel like saying to you, he, jo- God still sees you, he sees you, and uh, he's still with you. Uh, just in the midst of you serving and as you uh, serve God and uh, do your life and journey with him. Just, just want to encourage you with that this morning. Um, yeah, you know, just what we do here is as a community, as a, the, the family of Christ here in Mount Barker, couldn't be done without volunteers, without people who give themselves to say, oh, I want to do this, I want to get this done. <clears throat> And uh, you just heard uh, Pastor Gary just ask, are there some people just to uh, help Becky out, doing a wonderful job, uh, reaching out to a lot of people that aren't here today. Uh, And what a great opportunity it is to uh, get alongside, just say, hey, yeah, I can help this. I can help with this. So um, things wouldn't happen without people getting involved. And I want to talk to you about uh, Joseph. I'm going to call him a model servant. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and I pray that as I speak this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me into the hearts of everyone here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, my wife and I have been here now for about a year and a half, and uh, beginning of this year, uh, we got an invitation to uh, have a meal at Pastor Gary and Jane's place. So, oh, this is great. You know, this is nice. Can't meet the pastors. And, uh, and so... We, uh, I mean, we met them around, but we're having a meal there. It's all great. And then after the meal, we sit down, and then they start to talk about the you know, young people in the church and, and uh, you know, their, their passion for them and this need. And then, uh, uh, you know, would you be interested? Would you be interested in helping out? And uh, my wife and I had a chat about it and thought about it, and part of it was, listen, we've got kids now coming to this age group. Uh, and uh, we're going, you know what? What are we prepared to do to help make something happen for our kids, slightly selfish, but our kids. Yeah, that's right. yeah. and, uh, and so we put our hand up to say, you know what, I thought I'd been uh, called out of youth ministry, left it many years ago, um, but we stepped back into it because we saw a need. And uh, we thought, you know, we want to do what we can to uh, serve the church, serve God, serve Pastor Gary and Jane. So we're talking about serving, talking about Joseph. But before I get to Joseph, I just want to do a a bit of a a discussion of what Paul talks about serving in Colossians and then use that as a bit of an interaction as we then unpack uh, Joseph. So I'm going to read a little bit from Colossians, then jump to uh, Joseph's life. Colossians 3, 16 to 17, then 22 to uh, chapter 4, verse 2. That the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. 
And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Then Paul starts to talk about what's called the household code, talking about wives and husbands, children's parents, fathers, and slaves and masters. And now I want to get to the slaves section. Verse 22, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because you because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer with alert mind and a thankful heart. Now, this is, this is a, a household code, instructions to a family, which often comprised of the, the father, the, the, the mother, our children, and slaves. So Paul's instructing how we can do this. And in this context, he's talking about how to live as representatives of God and as representatives where to be thankful. Two words that introduce this household code. At the beginning, he says, this is how we're to be thankful. And at the end, he talks about this is how we give thanks. So this is how we do it as Masters, slaves, wives, husbands, children. This is how we represent God with an attitude of thankfulness in how we live. Paul gives a similar discussion in Ephesians, known as the household code as well uh, there. But the focus of that, where Paul unpacks this, is about spirit-filled living. So if you're to be a spirit-filled person, this is how you are to live in your house, in your environment. So a spirit-filled life, I want to suggest, connecting Ephesians and Colossians, is a thankful life. If you're going to live a spirit-filled life as a representative of God, you're going to live a thankful life. Now, I'm focusing on the slaves part. You might be saying, Dean, but I'm not a slave. Well, I have two comments. One, we can contextualize this. Most commentators do to employers and employees. And even in our environment, that can include volunteers and those we volunteer for. So we can contextualize this. And most people agree that is a fair way of applying Paul's writing today of those passages. But I do want to say, but you are slaves. Paul refers to himself several times as a slave of Christ. And so are we. As I reflected on this passage in Colossians, I was drawn to, my heart I felt to uh, focus on Joseph. Just drawn back to looking at Joseph. So now, now I want to jump to Joseph and look at his life and, and Draw out some comparisons in relation to what Paul was writing and this man we read about back in Genesis. You know, Joseph is introduced to us as the, the son born to uh, his favorite or loved, most loved wife, Rachel. Kind of weird just saying that, young. 
most loved wife. Um, you know, it just doesn't do well for setting up for our sibling rivalry. Now, even to the point Jacob gave Joseph the Technicolor dream coat. Now, I grew up as an older brother, and uh, so I had, had a younger sister. And at times, I got a bit frustrated. Because there was moments when my sister, who is younger than me, was getting the privileges that I had to wait until I was 15, and she got them when she was 13. I'm here to nerve. Do we need an altar call right now? <laughs> so imagine, imagine the rivalry of you know living with brothers of another mother, and then this son, a younger son, the second youngest, getting this fancy coat. Not really setting up for a you know good family moment of success. But Joseph grows, he's, and as he does, uh, he has dreams. God gives him dreams. Now, in his simpleness or whatever, you could say maybe foolishness, um, maybe not foolishness, he decides to share these dreams. Remember, he has a dream that uh, bales of uh, wheat are going to bow down, so suggesting his brothers, and then the, the sun and the moon suggesting his parents will bow down to him, that he's going to rule over them. So one, he's a favoured son, younger favoured son, and he's telling the brothers, the older brothers, hey, this is what my dream says. Now listen, I, I do want to point out here, you know, a lot of times Joseph gets a bad rap here. You know, they kind, they kind of paint the picture of a spoiled brat. I want to suggest, Scripture doesn't paint that picture at all. It just tells us that when he went to observe his brothers as they were tending the sheep, they weren't actually doing the correct thing. So he reported that to his dad. He could have been a dibber-dobber. But if they were doing things that was, you know, wrecking, destroying, or, you know, eating too much meat, whatever was going on there, yeah, that's, that's wrecking the family's property. So there's nothing to suggest that Joseph was actually a spoiled brat. But often we uh, get that impression as people talk about Joseph. He, he didn't have a big head necessarily. He was just saying, this is the dream I had. What, what, do you, what does it mean, Dad? But it uh, didn't go over too well, particularly with his uh, older brothers. Well, one day, just after Joseph's 17th birthday party, uh, the brothers were out in the field with, uh, with all the, the sheep, and so Jacob uh, sent him out. Uh, to go, can you go uh, check up on your brothers? Maybe here's some supplies. Go, can you go uh, off to your brothers? Uh, it was a uh, fair while away, so it was a bit of a hike. So he's off on his journey. Uh, the brothers are there. They could see him come. And uh, they could see by it with the coat. You know, it, it was technicolored. It was fancy. You, you just, oh. um, just the, the sun shining off it. Uh, so they then decided, here's our moment. We can get rid of this guy once and for all. And so they plotted. They made a plan to, uh, to kill him, but it ended up they didn't kill him. Uh, they threw him into a small pit, but then some uh, Ishmaelite or Midian traders came through and they sold him, so they actually made some money. So they're pretty stoked about that. And then Joseph 
which I would say of no merit of his own, nothing that he did to deserve this, is sold into slavery and taken to Egypt and then purchased by a man named Potiphar. Now, Joseph actually does well. He gets in and begins to serve and serves well, so much so that Potiphar notices him. And soon Joseph is elevated. He's put in charge of Potiphar's household. You know, so what was a really bad thing, still not great, but now Joseph has actually been given favor. God is looking after him. But Joseph wasn't the sorry, Potiphar wasn't the only one who noticed, noticed Joseph. Potiphar's wife noticed Joseph as well. She thought perhaps Joseph was here for her pleasure. So after many attempts, Joseph denied her. And one day, she got the better of him, where she was able to physically grab his cloak that he had on at that time. And then Joseph ran away. And in doing so, he claims this to her, you know, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Just shows the character of Joseph coming through there. Well, the wife accuses Joseph of rape. As when Potiphar hears the story, Joseph is thrown into prison. Now, side note here. Most people suggest that when that report was given to Potiphar, that if it was any truth in that, Joseph should have or would have been executed almost on the spot. So to be put into jail and the jail of, of the king's uh, jail, which may have had a little bit better treatment than the other jail, suggests that maybe Potiphar trusted Joseph's word and knew of the character or lack of character of his wife. So here's Joseph. He goes from enslavement to imprisonment. You know, when you think couldn't, things couldn't just get any worse... They just did. You know, I wouldn't have blamed Joseph if he's there going, Why? What have I done to deserve this? What about the dreams you gave me? I I wouldn't blame you if that happened. And perhaps it did. But it didn't last very long if it did. Because Joseph began to serve again in the jail. And it it took a long time, though. Joseph was in there for uh, approximately till he was about 30 years old until he was remembered. And that's when we get to the end where Joseph actually interprets the Pharaoh's dream. Then Joseph is taken from the prison and placed as second in charge over Egypt. And the dreams are... Fulfilled. Well, I want to come back to that section where Joseph is in our prison, just uh, in Genesis 39, verses 19 to 23. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with 
Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. This is where I want to focus on, verse 23. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. The warden had no worries. Don't need to worry. Just be happy now. The warden didn't need to look after everything that he was to oversee. He gave it to Joseph. Joseph began to look after it. Joseph is still in this slave-master relationship, or you could even say lower than a slave-master relationship. He's in jail. And yet Joseph's actions show him as someone who could be trusted. While in that relationship, while in the pit, he's demonstrating himself as someone that the warden goes, with him around, I I, I don't have any worries. I can give this all to him and I've got no worries. You know, Joseph showed himself as someone to be trusted to his master, just like men of Aaron and Hur who got alongside Moses. As Moses was leading the people and had to hold his hands up, he got tired. Aaron and Hur got alongside and lifted the hands of Moses. They came alongside to say, how can we serve? Keep my arms up. (laughs) Keep my arms up so we win. They came alongside, jo- Joseph came alongside both Potiphar and now the prison warden and lifted their hands up. He served them. He took away their worries, lightened their load, took some of the burden. Joseph here represents a model slave for us to look at, a model employee, if I can contextualize it, a model volunteer. He pleased his master. As we read in Colossians, all the time, not just when his master was watching. This is what Joseph was doing. This is how he took away the worries of that warden. I want to ask you this morning, are you carrying the burdens of Christ, our ultimate master? Are you carrying the burdens of our local church, of Pastor Gary and Jane? Are you carrying the burdens of your boss? Oh, you don't know my boss. Yeah, we don't know the prison warden as well. I don't think he would have been too much of a pleasant chap, if you know what I mean. He took the worries. The warden didn't have to have any worries about what Joseph was overseeing. And why, why did he do that? Well, because, the verse goes on, because Joseph took care. He took care. He didn't need to. He was in jail. He probably had a few things to do, but he didn't need to oversee the whole thing. But he did. 
He was no longer a slave in that sense, so he was a criminal, a convicted villain. He didn't have to take care of anything, but he did. But he chose to. He said, I'm here. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take some of these worries of the warden. I'm going to take some of the burden of the people I'm serving under. This shows Joseph's outlook on life. Joseph wasn't going to allow the circumstances to dictate to his response. He responded on his own. He wasn't going to let the dirt, the muck, and who knows what else was in that environment dictate to how he would respond. He chose to respond differently. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances and we can go, well, yeah, but this is, this is where I'm in. Look what life's dealt me. And we can allow that to influence the way we behave and the way we act. Now, I, I, I want to mention here, I do understand the seriousness of depression, of mental health. I understand the seriousness of this. And in Joseph's uh, situation, it could be, you know, we could look at it and go, hey, well, <clears throat> take it easy. You know, just stop, just rest. Appreciate the time you have. Hey, you're still alive. Now, there's elements of truth in that. But sometimes we can communicate that outside of the seriousness of what's going on in someone's life. But there's something I believe Joseph understood, uh, which was greater in this midst, which led him through this process. We don't read of any depression in the way Joseph responded. I mean, Joseph still had hope of getting out. I mean, in chapter 40, after he just interpreted the cupbearer's dream, the cupbearer who got thrown into jail, then eventually he told the dream the cupbearer would be released, go back to Pharaoh. This is what he says. So Joseph still had hope. He knew he wasn't meant to be. He says this in chapter 40, 14 and 15. And please remember me. And do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews. And now I am here in prison. And I I did nothing to deserve it. He knew where he was. He was a realist. He wanted out. But he didn't let... Those circumstances dictate his actions. What Joseph had empowered him to dig down, to step up and serve. Taking care of things. Using his hands to do something. He went and did something. And I believe this is the action that motivated Joseph or part of the, what motivated Joseph was to the doing, doing something to keep going. And I've heard this said in relation to those who face depression. We often need to encourage people not just to sit and be still and stay in that moment of depression, but to get out and do something. It gets your mind off that moment. Yes, as I said, I understand the seriousness and the help that's needed with the community and professional help and all that. But one thing that I've heard talked about that is what Joseph was doing here. He was doing things. He didn't sit in his little hole going, woe is me, woe is me. That just makes the situation worse. 
he got out and did something. He did something. He took care. He took care. You know, looking at this in comparison to what Paul writes in Colossians, he says, Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Joseph still had a fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. In taking care, Joseph served sincerely. And it was noticed by the warden, by Potiphar beforehand. I don't believe he was doing it to try and manipulate things. I mean, if he was, if he was doing this to try and manipulate things, I think the story would have ended differently and would have ended with Joseph enjoying the time with Potiphar's wife. So it wasn't about him doing things to try and say, hey, well, if I do this and get some favour, I might move up in the racks. The fact that he chose to run away from the pleasures of Potiphar's wife suggests to me he had a sincere heart. And even what he cried out, it is against God, he was doing it unto the Lord. Joseph cared. He cared for things. Perhaps Joseph was motivated by his dreams, his vision that God had given him. They kept him going. There is a sense of purpose, a deep down conviction that God has promised. This conviction is written about in Hebrews. As it says there in Hebrews chapter 11, 22, it was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt and even commanded them to take his bones with them when he left. He had this vision, not just of the immediate of what was going to happen with him ruling over that circumstance, but he had a vision returning to his land, God's promised land. A vision kept him going, even to the point when he was dying. Take my bones. Take my bones out of here. He had a vision that kept him going. Paul writes in Colossians 3.24, Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And that master you serving is Christ. There is an inheritance in Christ. Paul knew there was a greater purpose than just the immediate. While we live in the present, our past experience and circumstances do not limit God's reward for those who serve him faithfully. While I believe one of the significant issues with our society today is a sense of identity, I do understand it is connected and joined with a sense of vision and purpose for what we're called to do and what we can do. Jesus knew he was the Son of God. Jesus had a vision of a redeemed creation. And he knew his purpose, his mission. He was on a mission from God. And that was to give his life as a sacrifice. I believe Joseph understood his identity. But he also had a vision, a vision that kept him going. That's why he could do these things. That dream gave him a purpose. I want to ask you, are you taking care of what God and your boss have asked you to do? Remember, 
do it for the Lord. Perhaps this morning you don't have a vision. You've lost a bit of that vision that was originally instilled in you. God can give you a vision, give you a dream, reignite that dream, rebirth what he placed within you. God can do that today, and I believe he's going to do that with some of you this morning. He took the worries of the warden. Joseph took care of everything. Of everything. Anything he was asked, he took care of it. Ultimately, it says the warden gave him everything to oversee. The prisoners and the duties in there. He, he, He was basically in charge. Not like in those movies where we see the guys, you know, it's the crooks that run the prisons. You know, they swap all the cigarettes to get their little deals. No, we're not talking about that in charge. <laughs> we're talking about good in charge. But he made the most of these opportunities. You know, another opportunity where my wife and I started to uh, serve in a volunteer capacity, uh, we just moved our church and been at our church for a few months. And the senior pastor uh, called my wife and I uh, in. I expect it was me for a breakfast initially, for a meal. And I uh, said, so, oh, what's he going to ask about? We've just moved here. And uh, my senior pastor was also the state president for, for New South Wales ACC. I, I think he might have been in the national exec then. So pretty significant uh, authority figure. Uh, and so we're having this meal. And he began to talk about the, uh, the need of our primary school age group in our church. Uh, now, this, this, I just mentioned who he was, senior pastor and our, our state uh, president for, for New South Wales, national exec person. He told me, told me about these, the primary school kids. I literally laughed. You know, there's a bit of disrespect right there. I, was going, I literally laughed. See, I'd grown up in the home of a pastor's kid. I'm a PK. And, uh, and my dad was a children's pastor. And so I look back now and go, one, you know, go, I can't believe some things he did. But also, some of the things he did were pretty radical. Um, in, he, he, did, he got dressed up. He had costumes. There was puppets. And, you know, we're going back years ago. All these things he did, vacation Bible schools and camps and all this stuff, going, wow, that's pretty radical. But I vowed. I said, God, yeah, I'll serve you, but I'm not going to be a kid's pastor. <laughs> So here I am sitting with a very respected, my new senior pastor. He goes, we have a need for our primary school age group. (laughs) So anyway, I go home, I have a chat to my wife. We uh, talk and we pray. And we come away going, you know what? Are we prepared to do anything? Whatever our hands find to do. And so we, we stepped in and we started to lead this uh, age group and uh, after a few years we, uh, we took over being the, the kids' pastors uh, for that uh, kids' ministry. So uh, the moral of the story is when the senior pastor asks you around for a meal... <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Just joking. <laughs> However, like Joseph, we, we decided to do anything whatever it would take, to serve our church, to serve God, to serve our community. It's just like many of you have done that too. We're able to do this for a many... Was it a sacrifice? Yeah. But it was worth it. We, even now, as we take on the youth ministry as a sacrifice, yeah. 
but it's worth it. We get to come alongside and take some of the worries of Pastor Gary and Jane. Lift up their hands. In serving the church and, and, and community in that regards, we get to serve the Lord. And we believe we're taking care of everything, anything, in regards to that youth ministry. You know, Paul instructs the slaves in Colossians again, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Verse 23, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Serving in anything starts with a willingness to do the little things, being faithful in the little, having a go. Are you willing and ready to do whatever for the body of Christ? Then the verse goes on, the Lord was with him. This is a key part of the verse. It connects back to a few times, back to the beginning of the chapter in 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in home of the Egyptian master. You know, in the midst of the valley, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of the circumstances he was facing, the Lord was with Joseph. Even after he'd gone out, sold from his family, betrayed by his family, then in the, the uh, fair, uh, pelt of his home, then it gets worse again, his prison, but then it says the Lord was with Joseph. God had not forgotten Joseph. He had not forgotten him. And while we can read it in just a few pages, it might take us 10, 15 minutes to read this aspect of Joseph's life. It was 13 years. 13 years from the time that his brothers threw him in the pit and sold him to the moment that he was remembered when he was 30 years old and he started to step into the dream God gave him. 4,748 days. 284,895 hours, if you're wondering. Yet through it all, God was with him. God was in control. The actions of Joseph's brothers were no match. And Joseph even states himself in Genesis 25, It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Joseph could see that God was in control. God sent me, verse 7, God sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and governor of all Egypt. Then again in 50 verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. God is in control. From all appearances, we'd be thinking, what's going on here? This ain't working. This is wrong. But God was in control all through those 13 dark years. I like what Walter Brueggemann, a significant Old Testament theologian, writes. At the same time, it is true that life is confidently settled. Jesus is in charge. 
God is in charge. It is confidently settled. But, and, the same thing at the same time, and that life must be lived at great risk. Both are true. Either taken by itself is false. Yes, God is in control. The Lord was with Joseph. But life has to be lived as it does each and every day. God has not forgotten you. Maybe you feel like you've been forgotten. He hasn't forgotten you. He's always with you. He said that, Matthew 28, 20. And be sure of this, I'm with you always to the end of this age. Jesus, through his spirit, is with us today. The Lord was with him. And then the last part of the verse, and caused everything he did to succeed. Use those if you'd like to come up. Thanks. The verse concludes with the Lord caused everything he did. The Lord caused it. The Lord made him successful. And we read about that a few times in those passages. For it was the Lord who made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. The Lord did that. The Lord was with him and made him successful, both in his work, both in his work, God's work, and in his, the, he, he works successfully in and through us. You know, I remember as my wife and I were doing kids' ministry, we just, we're just serving. We're just serving, just doing things. And now one time the pastor comes up and he goes, hey, you know, you've had some of the biggest attendance recently. I go, oh, really? Have we? I think he got excited because we cracked 100 on a Sunday attendance with our kids' ministry. He's going, you know, you've done that a couple of weeks in a row now? I go, oh, cool. I don't count numbers. Like, I was a maths teacher in my you know, maths training, so I can work numbers, but I just, oh, yeah, crowds, yeah. People say, how many in your congregation? Oh, I don't know. Just, yeah, there's, there's, there's people. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not how I'm wired. And so, you know, he talks about, hey, that's great. I'm going, cool, I, I'm not doing it for that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just doing it to serve you. And, and I do it to serve God. Uh, that's why we do this. And um, that success, while he goes, hey, Dean, you did great, that success. And, and I go, yeah, but this, I, I'm just, I was just in the right place at the right time. God. Did it. My wife and I, who I saw about I was in, my wife and I, right place, right time. God did it. He gets all the glory. He, He worked through us and we're thankful for that, but it's all for him. It's all his goodness. It's his Holy Spirit that empowers us. He's the one who worked in and through us to bring about success. And Luke tells us in 24, 49, and now I'll send the Holy Spirit just as the Father promised but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from on on high. That power is to be witnesses, which we know in relation to Luke, but it's also to continue the work of Jesus. And Jesus came to serve. He came to give his life. And so that power to be his witnesses is to serve those around us, to serve the body of Christ, to give our life so that we can take the worries of our leaders, so that we can take care of everything and know that the Lord is with us. The Lord is with you. 
and he will bring success in everything you do. You know, Joseph for me stands as a model servant. Someone who embodies that passage that Paul wrote about in uh, Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 for that matter. One who was a representative of God. A person who carried the presence of God. A servant who carried the worries of those he served, his masters. One who took care of, looked after everything, anything he was asked to do. A servant who worked as if unto the Lord. A person through whom God caused success. A model servant with a thankful heart, serving in whatever they do. You know, just as we've talked about, stuff here at Infused Church doesn't happen without volunteers, people who are willing to serve. And I'm so thankful of those that do serve. But I know, listen, we can do more when more serve. And my overall challenge, hopefully encouragement, with a challenge for all of us. How can you serve? How can you serve? But in particular, as we close, I just feel to pray for, for those that may be identifying with Joseph this morning and say, I feel forgotten. You're in those 13 years, dark years. You're going, I, I, there's nothing. I've got nothing. I've been stepped down, moved aside, stepped down. I've got nothing. I want to tell you, the Lord is with you. He hasn't forgotten you. And part of what kept him going on was a vision, was a dream. Maybe you haven't got a vision or a dream. Or maybe... You had a vision. God gave you a dream, gave you a vision. But in these 13 years, it's got clouded. It's got distracted. And you're finding it hard to serve in the capacity like Joseph did because what God gave you is now starting to disappear. It's not clear anymore. Cloud's coming in. I want to say this morning, I believe for some of you that God wants to take away the cloud, bring back that vision. Ignite something fresh again in your life so you can step up and go, you know, whatever, Lord, my hands are your hands. So just as we sing this, I just want to invite you to to join as we sing. And if you would like prayer this morning, you think God's forgotten you or you need a fresh vision, a fresh dream, why don't you come this morning? We're going to pray for you this morning as we close.